0: This is UCD Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. And each week, we'll be joined by world renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and the world. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist. And lecture at UCD College of Business. Now you're very welcome to Business Impact. Now, one of the guests that we have been hunting down for quite some time on this podcast is actually a very interesting guest and very close to home, uh, literally uh, in that sense. We've been talking to a whole range of diverse voices here at UCD Business School, uh, covering just a multitude of disciplines. I mean, you name it, we've sort of spoken to them right from COVID over to the gig economy, we've done stuff about foreign investment, we've done stuff about strategy, management. I mean, it's just, we've really gone down through the layers and and drilled into all sorts of parts of that kind of business education world. But one man who has been elusive, but we finally pinned him down against his better will, but he's here, is the Dean of the UCD Business School, and that's Professor Tony Brabazon, who's joining me on today's edition. He's going to talk to me about the future, the past and the present of business education, He's going to talk to me about the two or three or four actually constituent schools within the business school generally at Quinn and Smurfit, but there are others as well. He's also going to talk to me a little bit about the modern student and where he thinks the student experience is going to go over the next few years. So it's going to be an interesting ride for the next 25 minutes to half an hour. And you're very welcome to the podcast Business Impact. Tony, how are you?
1: Emmett, great to sit down and have a chat with you. Um, I've really enjoyed listening to the last 47 podcasts that we have put together over the last um, 18 months. It's been a really interesting venture, actually, the podcast series, because when we started it um, 18 months ago, it really was in response to COVID. And a lot of the early uh, podcasts revolved around uh, both the educational and wider industry response to COVID, But it's broadened out over the last uh, six or seven months to look at business issues more more generally. And it certainly has been fascinating to see the range of news coming across on the podcast from both academic leaders and uh, and industry uh, leaders. So I'm very happy to sit down today and uh, talk to you and share experiences about what's happened over the last 18 months and uh, what I see for the future.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the reasons we didn't have you on so early was because you were so busy. You went to, uh, probably fair to say, you're the only Dean of the Business School who's ever had a pandemic in their period in office so whatever happens after this or what other roles you go on to this will be unique uh, at least for several decades let's hope Uh, i don't think any of your predecessors did anything quite on this scale i know they had recessions and booms and busts and all sorts of things but nothing quite at, at this pitch so we'll talk a little bit about um COVID and I'm uh, back to campus life and all of that in a few minutes. But first of all, a little bit about yourself. Um, you are an academic with, with, a, with a record and, and research interest and so on. Uh, I know you spent time at Stanford as well, which is an interesting one. So tell us a little bit about yourself um, where you're from and the kind of academic work you've been doing in the lead up to this current role you're in.
1: My original association with UCD actually dates back to 1985 and I, I studied for my initial undergraduate degree to become here at, a, at UCD. And I can safely say at that stage when I started in first year, I really didn't know where I was going to go from a a career point of view. So it's been an interesting journey um, since then. When I completed my undergraduate education uh, in UCD, I then stayed on for an additional year to do a diploma in professional accounting. And that subsequently became the Master of Accounting degree and is going strong to this day. And I spent a few years then working for KPMG and qualifying as a professional accountant. Shortly after I finished my, my uh, qualification, accounting qualifications with KPMG, a lecturing position was advertised in uh, UCD. And I thought well, that might be an interesting uh, thing to, uh, to try. So uh, I applied, uh, spent a year in UCD working as a lecturer in the accounting department, and then took a number of years leave of absence uh, when I pursued postgraduate qualifications uh, across a number of different universities in UK, US, uh, and, and also uh, in Ireland. So I'm back in UCD since the uh, the mid 90s and uh, I'm reminded of a comment made to me when I was talking to my den manager in KPMG when I, when I told him I, I was leaving KPMG to go into uh, UCD and he said I'll give you six months you'll find it's too slow moving in there you'll be back to us in six months looking for your job back and you know what we'll give it to you. Well, he was proved wrong uh, because what I found uh, over the course of the last uh, 25, 30 years was about every five years, a new challenge came along. And that really has kept it interesting um, from my perspective. So it's been a a great journey uh, during my time in, in UCD. In terms of research interests, I'd always had an interest in the mathematical and modeling side of things. And early on in my academic career, uh, I I was very, very uh, involved in studies in the statistics and operations research area. And during the 1990s, uh, there was increasing discussion at the time of weird and wonderful new machine learning technologies which were coming out, such as uh, neural networks and so on. And that got me interested in moving across to the uh, the machine learning uh, end of things. So most of my research has uh, concerned what are known as uh, biologically inspired uh, computing algorithms, which in essence take inspiration from biological processes and then apply the software that uh, is generated from uh, those ideas to solve real world, uh, real world problems. So over the course of the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, I, I ran research uh, groupings of, of increasing size uh, worked with uh, quite a lot of industry partners, and by about two thousand and four, two thousand and five, I was running a research group with about fifty uh, people and um, industry partners, uh, and that that was a really, really interesting uh, experience, bringing both the the academic and the uh, the you know the industry side of things uh, side of things together.
0: And do you think that's what prepares you for a career in, in academic management, if that's even the right phrase to use? Um, you know, you're kind of bridging that research world and, and the managerial world is because is, is, I think sometimes there's a sense outside that academics, ivory tower, et cetera. And, and you know, they lack managerial competence or, or skill set or whatever. But that research area that gave you that uh, 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 working with others, getting the best out of them, you know, working in a team environment. Would, would you say there's a kind of a bridge between those two?
1: I think there is, Emirates, And I can't say that there was a a very clearly defined uh, career plan from day one. But when I reflect back on it, uh, the skills I I learned uh, managing a group of several dozen people, the skills you acquired uh, linking up with industry partners and pulling various partnerships um, together, the skills acquired in chasing external research funding from research agencies you know in, in essence that of course is uh like running a small little coverage industry so uh, on the back of uh, my experience on uh on the research side i was asked to take over as head of research for the, the school of business uh, about 2005 2006 and after five years in that role i was asked to take over as associate dean of the, the Smurfit School, and I, I undertook that post for about six years before uh, finally becoming dean in, in two thousand uh, and, and seventeen. And I, I think reflecting back on it, I really love research, and I know I do at times uh, know long for the old days when you could pursue, you know, interesting research projects with your PhD students and your postdocs and working with industry uh, industry partners as well. But I suppose the way I rationalise it is. I continue to have impact, but I've impact in a different way now in the school uh, than uh, the 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 the, uh, the impact I was having as a researcher. So again, going back to my earlier comment, about every five years, I personally found that kind of a change of emphasis in what I was doing uh, worked out very very well for me in terms of keeping me energised and keeping me refreshed.
0: Well, let let me take you back to where you were in say February of last year, um, and I, I ask everyone this question on the podcast because I find it really interesting how the, the the virus interacted with their normal life at that stage. Obviously, like the rest of us, you were seeing news reports presumably coming in from China. And, you know, eventually Italy, of course, was the next place it migrated. But in terms of your sort of day-to-day life in New City, in the business school, when did you sort of see COVID really coming onto your personal radar where you sort of said, this is going to be huge, we're going to be talking about you know classes having to be closed you know those bigger sort of ticket items can you remember that is there a particular moment or a particular period when you sort of said this is something this is something different
1: well in, in, interestingly emers uh, I, I do recall sitting at home watching the news on about the 7th or 8th of january in in 2020 and i did begin to suspect from the tone of the reports coming out from China at that stage that control had been lost of the virus and that it had likely had had migrated beyond Wuhan. I suppose the unknown at that point was uh, how quickly would it move around the world? Because we had experience of SARS before, which was successfully uh, damped down before it became a global um, pandemic. But certainly once we saw the outbreaks occurring in Italy, particularly in a ski resort where people then were going to be traveling back from those ski resorts to other parts of Europe. I think the alarm bells did start to go off um, at at that point in time. But I think we do have to remember that it is a little bit difficult to move ourselves back 18 months in this time now because we know so much more about public health, about pandemic, about the virus, we really were dealing with the unknown when we went back to February and March uh, of 2020 in terms of exactly how infectious this was, exactly what the um, the mortality rate from uh, it uh, was. And certainly we can all remember going back to April of 2020, there was considerable fear amongst uh, amongst uh, people in Ireland and elsewhere across the globe uh, concerning the, uh, the, the, the pandemic. So I, I think in terms of uh, impact on teaching in the school, impact on staff, impact on students. That did happen quite suddenly, and we, we didn't get a huge amount of warning that uh, everything was going to have to go um, online and that we're all going to have to, uh, to to work remotely. So it certainly was a very very trying time, not just of course within UCD but more broadly across the across the economy, with every organisation having to to recalibrate to this new uh, to this new environment.
0: And since then, you've been kind of on a presumably on an incredible personal, emotional roller coaster, logistical roller coaster. I mean, can you just tell our our listeners something? Give us some idea of what sort of has happened, if you can condense what I'm sure has been an incredible topsy turvy period for you. Can you just give us some idea of what um, what the kind of whole world has been like in the business school, trying to keep education going? whole online revolution just give us some idea what it's been like and I know you're not stopping now or taking a breather or anything like that but as you reflect back it it must have been incredible
1: looking back on it Emmett everything happened quickly and you had to respond quickly so uh, we didn't have the luxury of, of setting up committees and uh, having uh, long debates as to how we should respond. And in, in many ways, uh, that, probably, uh, that probably aided our, our adaptation. I think as well, it's very, very important to note that the, the level of, um, of resilience and professionalism shown by our students and staff is, 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 is beyond anything I had ever seen in my career up to then. Everybody pulled together everybody did what was needed to ensure that we could continue our educational um, provision. And I think as well, looking across um, our students and all the locations in which we teach, people realised that this was a global phenomenon and, and realised as they were seeing impacts across all aspects of their lives, that education was going to be different for the, for the immediate future. So I, I, I found that uh, the response across the board Uh, was was extremely, um, extremely, uh, extremely positive. And interestingly, the response we saw from students was that they really appreciated the efforts that uh, faculty uh, were making, because we have to remember, we had to switch our uh, whole educational provision from uh, being designed for delivery within a classroom to being delivered online within one week in 2020, there was only one week break uh, between the, uh, the the face-to-face cessation of face-to-face teaching and the commencement of of, of online teaching, and that placed incredible pressures and strains uh, on, on on faculty. But they stepped stepped up to the mark and, and and delivered.
0: And one thing I wanted to ask you about is it, we'll come on to the online learning bit in, in a few minutes. But looking at the business school more generally, you know, it's been there a long time. It has it has an enormous reputation. Some of the like a who's who of Irish business have gone through the the, the buildings over the years uh, and you can often see the names up on the wall but there are a number of interesting anniversaries about to occur which do allow you that moment of reflection and a little bit of a taking stock exercise I mean just just fill us in on, on where you are because there's a few anniversaries floating around and it does give you that opportunity to sort of have a bit of a look back.
1: Sure and you know if we look back at the at the, at the College of Business you know previously called the Faculty of Commerce it, it dates back to 19, 1910 in in terms of the first staff becoming, becoming on board. And interestingly, and a little known fact is the very first student to graduate from the College of Business at, at UCD w- w- was actually a woman, Lillian Dignan, who graduated in in nineteen fourteen. So at, at a time when we talk correctly uh, very much to agendas around uh, EDI, uh, it is interesting to note that the very first graduate of the school uh, was what uh, what w- was female. So the school has a long, long, long uh, history. And I think an interesting element of the the school, uh, business school here in UCD was from quite early on, the school was very international in in its focus. And that differentiates it from uh, most U.S. schools and most other European schools. And just to relate a little little, uh, anecdote on that, In the late 1950s, uh, the Irish economy uh, wasn't uh, doing uh, so well. And there was a real concern that the the level of management skills across the economy was lower than it needed to be and was not uh, positioning the economy well for advance into the future. And the then Minister of uh, Finance, uh, uh, Willie Norton, uh, decided to uh, push the business education agenda and he sponsored a young member of faculty uh, from the school here in UCD, Michael McCormick, to travel to the U.S. and tour around a number of the leading business schools, uh, and Wharton, Harvard uh, and so on, and to take learnings from, from them in terms of what programs they're offering and bring them back and transplant them into an Irish environment. So after his, uh, his tour around the schools, uh, Michael uh, came back and, and wrote up a report for the, the president of UCD, uh, Michael Tierney. And one of the recommendations of that report is that we should start an MBA program. And that then led to the, uh, the commencement of the MBA program here in UCD in 1964. Now, very interestingly, the president of UCD said to Michael McCormick at that stage that, of course, if the program is not a success you will have to leave the university. Wow! <laughs> so it was putting certainly quite a bit of pressure on, on, on a young member of faculty. Now, as it turned out, the program was an outstanding success. There were over 200 applications for the very first um, class uh, in, in the MBA, of which 10% were accepted. And now 4,000 graduates later, um, we can certainly say the program has been an outstanding success. But the critical thing behind that, uh, behind that story is that from the late 1950s, the school was looking to then to the U.S. in terms of benchmarking uh, what, we should be, uh, what we should be doing. And that led over the following 20 or 25 years to a, a number of uh, faculty who went out to the U.S., trained up and leading U.S. schools, and brought back that experience uh, into UCD to develop the business school here. And th- that effectively meant then that from the early 1970s, mid-1970s, there was quite a strong international imprint and way of thinking uh, embedded uh, embedded uh, in, in the school so the school has been global and international in its mindset uh, for, for a long 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 uh, time now now taking the story up to the uh, more recent times in the early 1990s uh, there was a feeling that uh, the, the, the there was an opportunity to advance business education further in ireland by expanding our postgraduate um, offering and a number of circumstances came together Michael Smurfit stepped up to the plate uh, as founding benefactor, and uh, an outcome then of those multiple uh, strands that were coming together was the creation of the uh, the Smurfit School, which this year celebrates its thirtieth anniversary. Uh, We see next year the twentieth anniversary of the Quinn School, which houses our undergraduate programs here uh, in Dublin, um, occurring, and we also see uh, in the current year the thirtieth anniversary of our first overseas programmes, uh, which were offered uh, in, for the first time in 1991 in, in Singapore. So quite a, a long history in the school, very strong focus on, um, on the international uh, global aspect. And I, the way I would look at it is that we are very proud of our history, our long history and vision of business education, but we look to the future.
0: And I was going to ask you, what, what does the what does a business education mean in 2021 i mean you're always battling i suppose in a business school with the the vocational part you know giving equipping students with the practical skills to exist in the workplace and then you have the the more theoretical the the the, the big business thinking of a particular time and the trends and the big intellectual forces and i suppose it may not be the case in all schools but you've got to marry those two because you you know you do accountancy, you do practical skill development. So people have to know what they're doing there. There's accreditation bodies that need to give them the rubber stamp. So you have that piece, but also you want your students to be fully rounded. You want them to have a kind of a, a knowledge of the world and so on and social and political issues. And also, is, is that still part of the, the big um, challenge in a business education to kind of bring those two parts together?
1: to challenge MS, but it's not unique to the, uh, to the College of Business. So if I look at my uh, faculty colleagues in the School of Engineering or the uh, School of Medicine, they have exactly the same uh, environment where they're looking to educate professionals. And just like them, what we are looking to do is to ensure that uh, our students, as they're studying with us, benefit from both a research intensive and led education, but also a, a practical, a practitioner uh, focus uh, in their education as well. So what we look to do is bring both the research and uh, and, and practitioner elements together in designing uh, of, of our programs. So across many of our programs, indeed most of them, uh, not alone would students be exposed to latest research and thinking, but also they would be uh, they would be taught by leading practitioners coming from the, the relevant sub discipline which they're studying.
0: And uh, uh, what do you think of a business education means in 2021? I mean what, what, what does it mean to you personally like what, what, what do you what kind of students do you like to see emerge at the end of all of this? Can, can you can you even describe them or what they what they would look sound like uh, and think?
1: Well, that's a tough question to answer in in, in 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 brief, Emmett, because, of course, we have a multitude of differing student cohorts across the school. So, for example, in the Gwynn School, we, we are generally looking at people who are studying for their first degree. Typically, they are coming to us just out of or shortly after leaving school. In the Smurfit School, we're talking about people who are typically studying for an MSc an MBA, and MBA, and they can vary in terms of the amount of uh, work experience they have. Some are recently off their undergraduate degree and are looking to uh, begin their career when they leave the Smartford School. Others are coming to us having uh, quite a bit of experience, perhaps they're studying with us uh, on, on the MBA. Uh, in the context of Smurford uh, executive uh, development, uh, most of the participants in uh, SED courses will be coming to us from senior management positions and could have a couple of decades of experience and then, on our overseas campuses, we have quite a wide range of both pre-experienced and post-experienced students. So we do very carefully calibrate the 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 foci of the programs depending on the uh, student cohorts that we are designing them for. so it's it's not as simple as saying that we are we are designing programs which are intended to get. People, their first step on the on the career ladder. I mean, the range of cohorts that we uh, we provide um, educational service to is far broader um, than that. So it's not it's not simple to answer your question uh, in a in a one liner. But it, it, in essence, across all of those programs, we are seeking to balance the uh, the latest thinking coming from a research perspective with uh, modern uh, practice-led developments.
0: Now, one of the things that really marks the, the business education world, and I'm talking internationally, is, is the whole area of rankings. It seems to be, I'm not directly involved, like you're you're the, the, the man who has to try and manage these things, but in terms of the rankings, obviously there's been a huge profusion of them. There seems to be a lot of them. Um, they seem to, you know, in terms of press and media, they seem to come out very regularly. And uh, There's often a lot of noise around who's up and who's down. I suppose my my question on those is, one, how hard is it to sort of, deal with that world of rankings and uh, and much store do you put in them yourself as somebody who's kind of involved in the process and do you think that it, it's 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 a good thing for business education a bad thing I mean wh- or is it just something that's there and you have to deal with it
1: well I do think there is information content uh, in rankings and there are many of them uh, different rankings have different criteria so it, it, it's not it, it's not a, a trivial matter to kind of um, look at the criteria of a ranking for a program and try to optimize in some sense because the criteria used for different rankings um, will, will, will differ. But if you boil most of the rankings down, most of them have an element of salary progression from a student's perspective after they leave. So how have they done salary-wise uh, on completion of the course? most of the rankings embed some element of uh, metrics of student satisfaction. And uh, the metrics typically also embed some element of uh, a diversity. So what, for example, is gender balance across your faculty? What's the gender balance across your um, student uh, cohort? And also perhaps what is the balance between domestic and international students? And if you think of all each of those three areas, clearly they're quite relevant from the student perspective because you are going to have one eye on what is the outcome from a, from a salary point of view, you are going to be uh, wanting to ensure that you have a, a good experience in your educational uh, course. And also you will also have one eye in terms of what is the caliber and quality of the cohort with whom I am studying and to some extent you no know, diversity measures can can, can, can can speak to that. So I think we would have to say that there is an element of um, of information content. Now, that being said, obviously, the ranking of a particular program is a function not just of its performance, but also the performance of other um, programs uh, around the world. And we are certainly seeing that the level of competition in rankings is becoming incredibly intense. Uh, the number of universities and business schools across the world is increasing very, very significantly, even on a, a year-to-year basis, and that then places uh, that places pressures in terms of, of ranking performance. And just to give a metric on that, across the globe, there are about 15,000 business schools. In most rankings, you're probably talking about 100 or fewer programs being included uh, on those rankings. So in, in that context, uh, the, the attainment of Top fifty ranking for a program is a monumental um, achievement. Now, if you look at the uh, the School of Business here in uh, in UCD, uh, we have been, as a matter of routine, uh, hitting uh, well inside the top fifty for many of our program rankings. For for many years, uh, just last week, uh, the latest FT ranking for the Masters in Management. Uh, was released and our, our program was the focus in international management ranked third in the world on those rankings so the school performs very very well uh, on rankings but it, it is continual a continual piece of work every year we are looking to tune and improve our programs to ensure that student outcomes and student experience is as strong as possible and i would be a firm believer in that you manage the process not the ranking So our job is to ensure that students have a really good education experience when they're with us, to do the very best we can to ensure they have good, strong career outcomes. And then my book, The Ranking, takes care of itself on that point. So my starting focus is never on what is the ranking for a program, it's ensuring that what we are doing behind the scenes to ensure that our programs are strong, that that is what we optimize.
0: Yeah, and I did mention earlier in the interview when COVID swept in the the, the growth and expansion of online teaching and online uh, tutoring and so on. It does mean, and it links into the rankings point, is that any student in Ireland, the UK, France, Germany, wherever, can pretty much access, as long as they have meet the criterion to get onto the modular course or program, that they can pretty much access any business education course from around the world. So they can jump in and do one in Yale or do one in Harvard or do one in LSE or whatever. I don't want to. I don't want to give too many other names out on this podcast. But you get the general point. So that international competition has that impinged on 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 UCD Business School, and do you think that's going to grow the challenge that that brings the globalization of business education? Do you think that's going to be a good or a bad thing in the next five to ten years? Oh, I I, I embrace
1: it. Uh, I I think I think we have to continually any any any. Leading business school has to welcome competition because it sharpens what you do, and it it, it encourages and forces you indeed to uh, stay at the very very top of your game. Certainly, the whole move to uh, to digital over the last uh, over the last eighteen months or so is going to be transformative in education, and not just in business education, but in education more uh, more generally uh, over coming decades. This revolution was coming anyway, so what COVID has done is it has accelerated. The, uh, the push towards uh, digital delivery. But fundamentally, though, business is about people. And a very, very, very important part of what leading business schools do is bring together three things. And, you know, sometimes I get asked the question, what makes a great business school? And in its, in its, in its core, it's, it's, it's quite simple in my book. Great students, great staff, and great networks all interacting together. And you can do certain elements of the education process online, but this fundamental of bringing great people together, putting them so they can interact intensively, not just via a Zoom screen, that leads to outcomes far beyond the the, the curriculum. It creates linkages, and we also very, very importantly, look to build strong connections between our industry partners, alums, faculty and, uh, and students and you can do that to a degree online but really the magic happens when people meet meet face to face and sometimes I'm asked as to what my definition of success for a program is and the, 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 uh, the response I typically give to that is I would consider it be successful if 30 years from now my successor is getting a large donation from a company which was formed when three students arbitrary number, who studied together in uh, Smurford or in Singapore uh, on one of our courses uh, came together. One of those students being perhaps Irish, one of those students perhaps being Indian, one of those students perhaps being from the United States.
0: I like that idea. It's a nice idea, isn't it? Yeah, you, you've got all the three elements there of the alumni, you know, the, the undergraduate, postgraduate experience and the globalisation international part as well coming in Uh, finally um tony because unfortunately we're running tight on time as is inevitable in these podcasts and there's so much stuff here i mean the the material there about the the rankings the the 1500 business schools i don't think that's widely appreciated that you're sort of in the premiership and then there's a lot of other divisions uh, further down so i think that's that's certainly uh, new to me there's the sheer amount of um, people competing in that space but I suppose in terms of picking programs and you you can have a lot of very good arguments for different courses and modules and programs and disciplines and none of them are wrong or there's nothing there's no bad discipline as such everyone can make a case for it Uh, and how do you decide what you're going to offer to students and uh, postgraduates and so on I mean I know you have four pillars there at the school that you kind of work to use to kind of orientate yourselves can you just tell listeners about how you go about that process because I'm sure it's it's not an easy one necessarily.
1: Very interesting question, Emmett. And I, I think in terms of talking about, uh, about degree portfolio, it's really, really important to emphasize that we are constantly reviewing our degree portfolio. Uh, every program that we offer, wherever it be offered, be it in Dublin or be it be overseas, will be completely reviewed every five years. And that review will be undertaken by like, through academics, discussions with uh, alums current students, and also um, industry uh, participants in in that particular location. So there really is no standing still. And what that means then is that if you take a program that might appear to have the same name and compare what we study in it now and what we teach in it now versus what we would have done perhaps 10 or 15 years ago, you will see very, very significant transitions um, over time. Now, of course, uh, industry changes, and we need to respond uh, to that, and indeed, in some cases, lead it. So I think some good examples of that in recent times would be we've recently set up a new masters, which has a real strong focus on the fintech space. And we can see in Dublin that fintech is really, really hot at the moment. One thing that you find arises when a, a new section, uh, a new section of industry uh, emerges is oftentimes there can be difficulties in staffing at news because it requires new skills which perhaps weren't uh, available in the economy uh, beforehand at scale. And education can, uh, providers, such as ourselves, can play a very, very valuable role in creation of courses which underpin the capability of an economy uh, to grow. Some very good examples of this in Singapore as well. And Singapore is changing its educational uh, policy to become much more focused on uh, the sunrise industries rather than perhaps looking at some liberal education at undergraduate level, the way it may have in uh, previous um, decades. And that then creates opportunities for fast-moving, agile uh, educational providers uh, such as ourselves to design new programs which fit into, um, fit into uh, that, that policy. So it, it, we're never, we're never standing still. And of course, uh, we, we also have a very, very vibrant and very energetic um, set of faculty who are looking constantly for new ideas and uh, regularly i would have uh, suggestions made to me from each of our subject areas that there are opportunities that we should be uh, we, we should be looking at so the critical thing is uh is, is, ne- is never to uh never to be standing still
0: no and i, I would without being um, too self-promotionist here but uh this podcast is is a great advertisement for the the amount of disciplines and the depth of them that around the school i mean just before the summer ended we did we did a very interesting podcast on cryptocurrencies with dr paul ennis and that was just a one off but it just shows that you name it whatever is going on in the in the contemporary world you know there's generally a discipline or, or a course reflecting on that and i think that speaks to to, to the point you've just made unfortunately we're out of time even though you're the dean the, the same rules apply to you tony uh, as all our other guests and we're just coming up after half an hour of conversation it's been really good and good luck to the year good luck to you in the year ahead Uh, it'll be a different year I know it's already underway and um, you have um, students back on campus which is fantastic to see that face-to-face tuition going on Thank you very much for coming on and um, well done on the various anniversaries. You could be busy marking these in various ways. I know there's a, a, a bit of strategy work going on as well to take the, the schools into the next uh, few years as well. So we'll keep an eye on that space as well. But thank you very much for, for joining us on the podcast Business Impact today. We've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, much.